Abba Father, we thank you for the reading of your word. And we pray, Father Lord, that you will open our eyes, open our ears, and open our hearts this morning to receive from you. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. I have entitled my sharing this morning with this title, While We Wait, We Continue to Grow. The Advent season is a season which reminds us that we are all waiting for the second coming of Christ. We wait for his return with eager expectation. And waiting, as some of us may think, you know, waiting is not laziness. Waiting is not, you know, going to sleep or waiting is not, you know, doing nothing. And it is definitely not the fact that you abandon every form of effort. Waiting has this unique disposition of readiness. You know, when you're waiting for something or when you're waiting for someone, you are actually, you have this readiness to actually receive that something or to receive that someone whom you are waiting for. And, and so for us, waiting is the readiness to receive Christ again, who comes again. And so while we wait, we are called to continue to grow. This morning, we will be looking at this passage from the Epistle of Philippians. And this passage is actually a prayer. And Paul, you will find Paul has this focus in his mind and in his heart, and he calls the church, the Philippian church, to continue growing until the day of Christ. Now, allow me to share very quickly with you three things about Paul's prayer, this prayer to the Philippian church. The first thing that we see in this prayer is that we see Paul's heart towards the church. He says in verse 3, I thank my God every time I remember you. Paul gives thanks to God every time he remembers them. It sounds as if like Paul, he must have had a lot of good memories of this church that every time he remembers them, or every time he thinks about them, or he, every time he mentions about them, he gives thanks to God. I thank my God every time I remember you. Now, we may want to ask the question, you know, what kind of memories would Paul have when he remembers the church? What would come to his mind Every time he remembers them, so much so that every time he remembers them, he gives thanks to God. You know, sometimes when we try to remember certain people in our lives, we say, oh, thank God that this person is not in my life anymore. But Paul, you know, I'm sure he's not, he's not thanking God that they're not part of his life anymore, but that, you know, every time he remembers them, he gives thanks and, and we, if we go back to the time when Paul first visited this place, Philippi, 
we will realize that although, yeah, although Paul was kind of the instrument who formed the church, but it was God who actually formed the community of believers there. And that whole account of how, of the whole account of that story is actually found in Acts chapter 16. Philippi is a Roman province of Macedonia. And Paul, Paul originally wasn't planning to visit that place. But Paul went to Philippi in response to a vision he had received. Originally, he was planning on visiting Asia, if you read the text. But the text tells us that he was kept from preaching the gospel there by the Holy Spirit. Why? We don't know. The text doesn't tell us. Then the text tells us that Paul, together with Silas, they came to this border of Mycenae, and there they tried to enter this particular place, which I don't know how to pronounce it. It's found in Acts chapter 16. But again, it says that the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them there. Why? We don't know. The text doesn't tell us. So they went through Mycenae and, and went down to Troas. And it was there that this Paul, you know, he receives this vision. And it was the vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, you know, come over to Macedonia and help us. So after seeing this vision, the text tells us that Paul concluded that it must be God calling them to preach the gospel there. So Paul, together with his entourage, begins to make their way to Macedonia. And when they arrived in Macedonia, they settled in Philippi, which is this Roman colony and a leading city in Macedonia. So that is how Paul arrived in Philippi. It wasn't part of his plan. You know, Philippi wasn't, you know, the itinerary in Paul's missionary journey. You know, when we go, when you, when you go for holidays and when you go for tour, you have all the itinerary, right? And for Paul, this, this place wasn't in his itinerary, but, you know, God planned it in such a way that he goes there. It was God's hand that orchestrated the whole journey, and Paul went to Philippi in response to the vision that he received. He went, and history tells us that he established the Philippian church, which is the first church in Europe. So that was how the church was formed. And there were a couple of things that happened when Paul was there at Philippi. Firstly, when he arrived there, he was expecting to look for a place of prayer, but he couldn't find any. Instead, he found a few women, and he started sharing the gospel to that few women over there. And there was one woman by the name of Lydia. She was a worshiper of God, and God opened her heart, and she responded to Paul's message. That was the first thing that happened when he went there. The second thing that happened to Paul when he went there was that he was arrested. Now, why was he arrested? We read about the whole story again in Acts chapter 16. And he, Paul and Silas, was not only arrested, but they were also stripped and beaten up and they were put in prison. And while they were... So you, you can imagine all these things happening to Paul. 
And again, he writes here in this letter, I thank my God every time I remember you. And while they were in prison, you know, Paul and Silas, you know, when they were in prison because they were beaten up and they were all wounded all over their bodies. And you can imagine them, the text tells us that they were praying and singing hymns to God, even though they were physically tortured. You know, and suddenly there was this violent earthquake, so violent that the foundations of the prison were shaken. All the prison doors flew open. I think you remember the story. And all the chains became loose. And when the jailer saw this, what did he do? Run, run away. Yes, he wanted to kill himself. He drew the sword, wanted to kill himself, but Paul stopped him in time. And he comes before Paul, he falls before Paul trembling. And this is the question he asked Paul and Silas. Says, what must I do to be saved? Paul sees the opportunity, shares with him the good news, and he and his whole household, this jailer, believed in the Lord and they were baptized. So that was what happened, all right? A summary of Acts chapter 16. That was what happened in Philippi when Paul first visited this place. And now he is writing a letter to this church with so much affection in his heart. And he says, I thank my God every time I remember you in all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy. And he also says, you know, it is right for me to feel this way about all of you because I have you in my heart. That was Paul's heart to the Philippian church. And he even goes on to say this in verse 8. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection, with the affection of Christ Jesus. Paul carried the church with his heart and he recognized that this church, the Philippian church, although he could have been the instrument in establishing it, but it was ordained by God. The way and the manner in which Paul went to Philippi was crafted by God and ordained by him. Actually, later on, right, Paul actually moves, moves away after, after all this happening. And, and one would wonder, how does he get all this information that the church is growing so well? Because if you read uh, down in chapter 3, you will know that the church actually, in chapter 2, in chapter 2, you will know that there's this person by the name of Ephaphrotitus, all right? Ephaphrotitus was sent by the church to Paul, and it is through that that he receives all this information and all this news about how the Philippian church is growing, and he carries this church in his heart. Now, back to us. Are we able to have the same kind of attitude, just like Paul, towards the work that God has given us here in Trinity? If you look at the first question that I've put there under think, reflect, and act on it, it says, uh, I've put there, are we able to express such thankfulness and joyfulness to God for the work that he has placed in our hands? 
No, we need to ask ourselves this question and we need to examine our hearts with this question because sometimes, sometimes, not all the time, sometimes, during times when we are discouraged, ministry often becomes a burden. When we lose our passion or when we are experiencing burnout, ministry becomes a chore for us rather than a privilege to serve the Lord. You know, friends, ministry is hard work. It is. Do you, do you agree with that? It's hard work and it's absolutely all right to get tired. You know, our, our president, Reverend Dr. T.J. Kumar, when he was pastoring my home church back in Canning Garden Methodist Church, he said this in one of his sermons. One of his sermons, he said this. He said something to this effect. He says, the work is tiring, but we should not get tired of the work. The work is tiring, yes, but we should not get tired of the work. And that has kind of stayed with me to today. You know, sometimes, friends, while we are doing ministry, we, can be, we are faced with disappointments. We are faced with frustrations. Sometimes we are discouraged. And I pray that we will not be tired of the work. You know, all this work that we do, do through Trinity and, and, and out of Trinity, all this work that we are involved in, we are involved in the missions work, we are involved in the social concerns work, we are involved in the school work in MBS, in Wesley Penang International School, and we are involved with the Boys Brigade Ministry, the Youth Ministry, the Children's Ministry, the Prayer Ministry is also a work. You know, all this work is God's good work. He started it. And therefore, when we are tired, we take a break. But sometimes when we take a break, right, we never come back. And that's the problem. You know, when we take a break, I think we should then need to put in a plan to come back. Come back. We, we, we are tired, we take a break, we rest, and then we come back. Remember to come back, friends. Remember to come back. You know, I truly believe that Paul, the Apostle Paul himself, you know, he, he definitely has, had faced disappointments. He would have faced frustrations, you know, and he would definitely have been discouraged, you know, overwhelmed. But he never got tired of what God had called him to do. He never got tired of the work because he believed that the work was begun by God himself. His confidence was that God started the work. That's what he says here. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Paul was confident that it is God's work. God started it and therefore God will? God started it and therefore God will? finish it. 
Paul believed that the formation of the Philippian church was a good work of God. This community, or rather this koinonia, that's a term that, that denotes community, is a good work of God. You know, when Paul was writing this letter, if you read the whole epistle, you will find, you know, when Paul was writing this letter, there's this mention of this, this church was facing certain issues. This Philippian church was facing certain issues. One of the issues that they were facing was they were, they were facing opposition. Uh, it was clearly mentioned in verses, uh, chapter 1, verses 28. You know, there in, in verses 28, he, Paul would urge the people to stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way of those who oppose you. So this opposition was happening uh, in this church from the outside. And inside the church, there were, there were also inner conflict. Because in chapter 4, you will find that there's these two women in the church who cannot agree with one another. So there was this conflict happening in the church as well. And Paul, in this letter, pleads with them to agree with each other in the Lord. And so Paul, in this opening of this letter to the church, he reminds them that the formation of the church is God's good work. God is the founder. So whatever opposition the church might be facing, whatever conflict that is happening within the church, God is the founder. The survival of the church is dependent on the very fact that God is the founder. It is God who began a good work. His confidence was not on anything else, but it was on God who began the good work. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Friends, we need to know that, you know, all that is happening in our lives, all that is happening in our families, all that is happening in our church, and all that is happening in our nation, these are all good works of God. And all these good work, work which God began will be brought to completion. And so while we wait for that day to come, can we, can we surrender ourselves Surrender our family, surrender our church, and surrender our nation to the workings of God. Question two that I've put there under think, reflect, and act on it is, how can we surrender ourselves to the workings of God in our lives? Because since God started it, God will finish it. So how do we surrender that's the question. We need to understand that we are not to, we, we are not to passively surrender. You know passively surrender? Yeah, surrender law. Don't you do anything about it. That's called passively surrendering. I think we need to, I think we need to actively surrender. And one of the ways we actively surrender to God is when we cooperate with him. You know, when God changes our hearts, when he begins to mold us and begins to make us more like him, we need to cooperate with him. Okay. There was this story, there was this story of a great, famous, renowned pianist. Okay, pianist. 
And he, this pianist, he was scheduled to perform in a great concert which will be attended by many people. So they have to pay, you know, pay, a, pay an amount of money to buy the tickets and because he's this great and renowned pianist, obviously the tickets will be uh, very expensive. So they buy these tickets and they wanted to attend. And because they bought such expensive tickets and they wanted to attend this concert, the expectation is that they have nice music to hear. Lah, all right? So they went for this concert and in the audience, in the audience was a mother with her fidgety nine-year-old son. Imagine bringing a nine-year-old boy who cannot sit still to a piano recital concert. And he was getting a little, little bit bored while waiting for the performance to begin. And so he quietly slipped away without his mother even noticing or even realizing it. And he quietly slips away and soon the boy found his way up to the stage. He sat on the stool of the grand piano on the stage and he started pressing like that. Okay? Now, everybody in the audience was shouting at this poor little boy and he said, get that boy out of there. Now, this renowned pianist who was still backstage, don't know what he was doing, he wasn't up in front, he was still backstage and he, he was here, he heard this uproar, but he also hears this strange music being played uh, from the stage. And what he did was he quickly grabbed his coat and he rushed over to the piano. He sees this little boy there playing like this and he rushes in, reaching around him from behind and he began to improvise a counter melody to whatever the boy was playing. You can imagine that? Counter melody. And as the two of them played together, the pianist kept whispering into the ears of the boy, keep going, son, don't quit, don't stop. Friends, this is pretty much a picture of how, is it, how it is to cooperate with God. God comes into our lives when we open the door of our hearts to Him. He comes in and sees all that is happening in our lives and He goes about changing us and molding us to be more like Him. He begins this good work of renovation in our lives and God whispers into our ears keep going don't quit don't stop you know friends we need to keep going even when the going gets tough and friends while we wait for the second coming of Christ let us actively surrender ourselves to the workings of God in our lives. You see, when we surrender, it doesn't mean we don't do anything, you know. We continue on, but we allow God to make changes in our lives. Finally, the third thing that we find in this prayer is that Paul, 
then begins to intercede. His prayer first, he started with thanksgiving, then he gave his confidence, and now he intercedes for the church, and he prays this. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ. Now, what exactly is Paul praying there? He prays that love may abound more and more. And what he is essentially praying is that their love for God and for one another will grow, right? Abound more and more, okay? Love is something that keeps growing. The act of loving is always a lifelong journey. God's love towards us is perfect, correct? God's love towards us is perfect, but our love towards God and towards one another needs growing and refining all the time. We can never love perfectly. We are always on the journey, all right? But God's love for us is perfect. And that is why Paul, Paul prays that the church will grow in their ability to love God and one another. This is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more. Okay? He keeps growing and he keeps increasing. But then he also kind of describes the kind of love that we are to be growing in. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. Now, what is that? In what manner is Paul connecting love with knowledge and depth of insight? What is the connection? You see, there, there was this person, there's this writer in this commentary that says, love is primarily a motive to want to serve people. You see, if you, if you want to serve people, love should be, like, should be the motive why we serve people. And love is a desire of wanting to give of ourselves to serve the needs of other people, right? We, we love another, one another because we want to help one another. But love needs to know how to serve. And that is where knowledge comes in. I hope I'm not confusing you. That's where knowledge comes in. And that's why Paul prays that love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insights. You see, you see, every time when we meet people who are in need of help, as an act of love, we want to help them. And oftentimes, we, we have these questions, how, uh, how to help, uh, what to do, what should I say? You know, sometimes helping a person will actually make the person's life worse than actually helping them because we are feeding into something that we are not supposed to feed. And so, so when Paul prays this and he's actually asking the church, you know, praying that God would help the church to understand how they are to love one another. 
because it is through insight, you know, the depth of insight, it is through insight that we would know how to act wisely in ways that would give healing, joy, and freedom to the people whom we want to help and love. That's why Paul prays that love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. Because we will only be able to love others when our knowledge of who God is increases. And so, friends, what are you praying for? I know last week, Pastor, Pastor Ronald, I wanted to say Pastor Paul, Pastor Ronald, Pastor Ronald also asked this question, what are you praying for? And I, I would like to also ask this question. In this Advent season, what are you praying for? Would we want to pray like how Paul prays? He prays for the church that their love may abound more and more. Would you want to pray? Would we want to pray that our love for God will abound and for one another will abound more and more. As we wait for the second coming of Christ, would we pray that we will keep growing in love for God and for one another? We'll take some moments here to pause. And you have your own conversation with God, and I will have my own conversation with God. And we will, I will then end this time with prayer. If in your heart this morning, that if you desire this prayer, that your love for God and for one another will abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, you tell God your desire. We'll take this moment to do that, and, and, and at the end, I will close in prayer. Thank you for speaking to us this morning. We pray, Lord, that you will help us, Lord, to grow in our love for you and for one another. We pray, Lord, that you will grant us knowledge and you will grant us depth of insight that we will truly know how to love one another. And in all that we do to love one another, may it honor you and glorify your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.